Hi, I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Schiavocampo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reed. Today on Run Tell This, we're joined by White House correspondent for the GRIO and CNN political commentator April Ryan. Her take on Trump's historic second impeachment trial and covering her fifth president. Plus, Wesley's exclusive interview with Andrew Gillum and a very heated debate about the Gorilla Glue lady. We didn't want to go there, y'all, but we just really couldn't help it. This week, we're going to be joined by April Ryan, um, uh, the White House correspondent for The Rio, whose work I'm sure you're all aware of. And we couldn't be more happy to have her now, uh, to have her today, given uh, the beginning of the impeachment proceedings uh, for President Trump. Now, obviously, President Trump has already been impeached once before. Um, he's now the outgoing president, um, or he's the former president. Uh, he's was impeached a second time, making him the first president in American history to be impeached twice. And now he's facing trial in the Senate. And so the big question becomes, what are the point of these proceedings? As part of impeachment and conviction, <laughs> if he's convicted, the Senate can rule that he cannot serve in office in the future. And so at stake here is Donald Trump's political future. Were the Senate to convict him of this impeachment for inciting the insurrection at the Capitol? <laughs> oh, hold on. I got a puppy here too, just so y'all know. Well, he so is, I think, our official, watch. like yeah. he's, our new, he's our new fourth um, co-host, I think. Exactly. All right, Freddie, I got you. He, he's really excited to have April here. April, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know you've had a long day covering this trial, so we'll just get right to it. Um, We've all witnessed what happened on January 6th. So why do you think the president still has support among so many Republicans? So at the end of the day, you have people trying to uphold the name of the president, Republicans who want to hold this president um, in good stead so he can help them in 2022. and when uh, one of his attorneys said, you know, there's one reason that uh, the House doesn't want uh, the president to to uh, to keep his uh, positioning or they, they want him to, to be convicted so he will not be able to run again. That is important. And the reason why it's so important when you have a president of the United States, words matter. Life and death is, is in his tongue. Life and death is in his pen. Markets are moved. I'm talking the stock market, the economy. Everything is shaken by what he said. And look at what happened. He said 20 times, fight on the ellipse on January 6th. And those people came ready to fight. And then he said the words, because this is not just one day. This has been building. This has been building for more than four years. We saw it when he was running for president. And people just said, oh, no, that's just him trying to gin up support. No, that was him. And it proceeded to get worse. Impeachment. Oh, he the gloves were off. He began this tirade and look at where we are. So Republicans want Donald John Trump to be able to be in good stead, be able to run for office again because it benefits them, because there is a basement of his base that believes in this type of segregationist type of thought. They believe that the things that he says, they don't believe in the browning of America. They don't believe in science and anything he says. I mean, we can go on. They trust him, but that trust is dangerous for the democracy. 
And because of Donald John Trump and his antics that they acknowledge sometimes is irresponsible, it has now caused a civil war within the Republican Party. And this nation has to have two strong standing political parties to be able to be a full-fledged democracy. And I'm very concerned at what I see. Um, I'm very concerned because Democrats are having a hard time and Republicans are trying to find their ground and who they are. This is the party of Trump. The vanguards, you know, are gone. I mean, you know, you talk about us. Let's talk about the vanguards like, whether you like them or not, Condi Rice, Colin Powell, J.C. Watts. You know, the party of Trump heralded Diamond and Silk, Omarosa, um, Daryl Scott. So wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute, because because you 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 what you what you try to tell me is that Diamond and Silk and Omarosa don't necessarily add up to J.C. Watts. Is that what you're trying to tell me? I was getting ready. I felt like I missed that a little bit. I just wanted to make sure I heard you right. You, hey, you know you heard. <laughs> you, you know what you heard. Don't play with hey, me. April, don't, don't, don't let me tell. Don't let me tell Omarosa you out here talk about her again. <laughs> Oh, she would be so happy to have her name and address in any way, shape, or form. Let us not do her the favor. Somebody, somebody, oh, somebody, yeah. please almost to get her in the club right now. Oh, I would love, I would love that. No, 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 no. If, no get her out. You bring her in, I'm gone. Have a nice day. I'm right, gone. right. You know, you know, I've actually had that experience in person where a, a room full of black people, a public event, she came in and a lot of people did not want to be there anymore. They didn't want to be in, in the think, same room. They didn't want to be photographed mm-hmm. at the same event. I Let mean, me she has that effect. I, when 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 certain people come into the room, you don't want to be in the room where it happens when they're in there because it's not about the people, it's about them. They suck the life out of the room. The People's House, the White House is about the people. The People's House, Capitol Hill is about the people. And unfortunately, people, the people who listened to Donald John Trump for these last five, six years, I'm not just going to say four, they believed that he was going to protect them they believe that they could do whatever they want. They, I'm going to tell you, I've listened to so many stories um, about January 6th. I just talked to Chuck Schumer and we just did a, a, a just, as a matter of fact, it's up, it was up yesterday and still you can look for it. Um, he said when the insurrection happened and he said they were, they were 30 feet from him. He said people, uh, not the people, but uh, police officers who had, bulletproof vests on, grabbed him by the collar and said, sir, you are in danger. And whisked him and the three other leaders of the House and the Senate away. I've heard so many stories, unnerving stories, about these leaders who never imagined that this would happen because a president of the United States, this is not, this is not a third world country. This is something that we hear in far off lands, you know? Stories that Wes Lowry has done, you know, for for all of these these highly esteemed programs. This is the United States of America. And think about this. They didn't they didn't get the White House or the Capitol on 9-11. Imagine if they would have gotten the White House or the Capitol on 9-11. What it would have the, the ripple effect it would have been around the world. They didn't get the Capitol on January 6th, if they would have, it would have sent a message to anyone who is upset with government, any group, to feel that they were empowered. It could happen here. There is a sanctity. There is some, there's some 
it's political sacredness about our government and, and, and up and down Pennsylvania Avenue and behind the Capitol the Supreme Court. And that was thrown out the window by the president of the United States. And I say this as a reporter, and I also say this as someone who the president has put some of those people on. So I say this on two levels. Um, it is, it's, it's an ugly moment, but Donald John Trump has been impeached. And now the question is, you know, why won't Republicans convict him? Why? Because they want him. They think that he is, he is an asset, not a liability come 2020. So, so, so I wanted to get into April a, a little bit about, um, about what actually happened today and what the proceeding was, was today. Um, they were, they were there today primarily to vote on essentially whether or not this, this trial should go through, um, whether, whether or not, whether or not it, it should happen. Uh, and the Trump attorney's arguments were, and we can get into, into the style of, of the way they made the arguments and how cohesive those arguments were, um, or were not, but the, but the, but at the crux of their argument was this isn't constitutional because Trump is no longer the president. And therefore, since Trump is no longer the president, that he cannot be held accountable uh, by, by the Senate through impeachment for what happened on, on January 6th. He was impeached before he left office. And the next piece to the impeachment is the trial. He was impeached by the House. So now the, the natural progression, even though what they're doing is it's like a court. It's like, you know, the jurors are the Senate and it's the next progression. They have set the stage for the next. He was impeached because why that one article he incited an insurrection, a deadly insurrection. An insurrection well, they, well, where they were even trying to get his their, his vice president and put him in a noose on the on the west side of the Capitol. Well, but one of the things that's so unique about this is that the the jurors, if you will, are also the witnesses. They all experienced this. They all lived this, and so it's kind of baffling that despite that, he's still expected um, to not be convicted. So the question then is, what is the message there to that the GOP is sending? What are they sending to their voters? What does that mean for midterm elections, for the next presidential election? What can we take from that? The fact that the very people who witnessed this attack, the very people who feared for their lives, are not are not likely to convict him. This is a slippery slope because they are setting a precedent that um, unfortunately um, could come to bite them. Look at uh, Marjorie Greene. Look at what she did. Look at what she's saying. That is not that is not just her. That's a part of Trumpism, the party of Trump. That's the mentality by any means necessary, flipping it from what Malcolm X did. They're going to the, the, the farthest extreme of being patriots in their, in their mind. Um, they're setting a very bad precedent that you're rewarded if you do something like that. I mean, if the president of the United States could do that, what are they saying? Oh, it's okay, One, a, a police officer died, some police officers lost their fingers, some people had heart attacks. Oh, it's okay, they broke in the offices, they had the schematics and plans knowing how to get to to some of trying to find us. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Wait, did you say a police officer died? Did you say a police officer died? Didn't you? Did what? I thought this was the party of um, Back to Blue. I right, thought blue, this was Blue the, Lives Matter. But what's I, interesting? I thought this was the party of Blue Lives Matter. I thought that. I thought that happened. I'm. I'm just. I, again, I'm just checking and making sure. 
That's what I'm saying. It's very hypocritical. And if you notice, the president never said anything about the police officers. It took him how many days to lower the flag to have staff? Am I correct, Wes? You're right. <laughs> You're right. April, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, they did ultimately approve moving forward with this trial. Carried on Democratic votes, six Republicans voted over. And what we know, if we're keeping the back of the envelope now, is that the only way that President Trump is convicted is in this is if a significant number of Republicans vote with the Democrats. What do you think, seventh, yes, what do you think based on your reporting and also just your experience many years in Washington about the chances of whether or not these Republican senators will be willing to vote for conviction? And if so, who they might be? I know there's been discussion. I mean, we, we kind of know that we think it's probably likely Mitt Romney votes for conviction, for example. We know Mitch McConnell's been playing some games in the press about which way he might go. What do you make of the landscape of what might actually happen here when push comes to shove and it's time to vote on conviction if you think there'll be the necessary Republican votes? Um, you know, uh, going back to Chuck Schumer, he said uh, he believes that if it was a silent vote, if it was a, you know, you didn't know the vote, he believes that people would convict him. And they could do a silent vote, really, to be honest with you. But at the end of the day, um, people are afraid of their base. This riled up base that, that is carrying pitchforks and and, 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 and walking around with no clothes on up top and those horns on their heads. I mean, they're afraid of those kind of people. I am too. You know, everybody is. And, and they're still trying to round up about 800 of them. How about that? The FBI has a whole page of 800 to 900 people that they're still looking for. And they're looking for our help to round them up. It's saying a lot that those people were not gathered up. I mean, it's saying a lot that Washington is locked down. You know, we're such mm. an open space. And now you've got police presence. We are it, a police presence. It looks like big brother. It looks like police state. It looks like a military state around the White House and around the Capitol. The measures, because there is a fear of this base, the Republican base, the party of Lincoln, right? This Republican base that, that is lawless, breaking the rule of law, and they're saying they're going by the guise of the president, the former president of the United States, who is supposed to be um, inaugurated on March 4th. Hmm. How about that? April, one person we did not hear from today, who we're used to hearing from every 10 seconds, is Donald Trump. <laughs> because he's taken his his megaphone away. Um, far be it for me to ask you to get inside the mind of Donald Trump, but I'm going to ask you because you covered him up close and personal for his entire um, time in office. What do you think he thinks of what's happening? What do you think he thought of his representation? Is he pleased with this? Does he think he comes out of this stronger as some kind of martyr, political hero? As best as you can, what do you think Donald Trump makes of what happened today and what's happening this week? So he's the exact opposite of, of Marvin Sapp's never would have made it. You know, I'm stronger, I'm wiser, I'm better, so much better. He's the exact opposite. He enjoyed this. He knows he's going to be acquitted. And he is just as happy. And he's, 
after this is over, and I talked to um, a Republican who has the ear of the then president. I said, you know, is he going to do a victory lap? He said, you know what? He's going to do a video. You know, this is a victory for him. And remember how he, you know, he had COVID. He wanted to come out and do some video like he was Superman. Remember after impeachment? Yes, you know, putting remember, Secret Service agents in, in harm's way by forcing them to be in a closed vehicle with a man who was tested positive for COVID? Yes, how for, about for a joyride? Yes, we remember that. That point right there. Um, and then remember, you know, at the um, at the Republican convention, how it looked like they were trying to make themselves a dynasty. They all came together with flags. And I mean, that you don't use the White House for politics. It sounds crazy. White, the White House is where politics happens, but you don't use it for your campaign purposes. There are rules against that. He has gotten away scot-free because Republicans have been in charge. He has gotten away with murder. He has had blood on his hands more times than not. And he still, I made it. See, what did he say? He could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it? And so far, damn right. So far, that's proved to be true. And you mentioned blood on his hands. We are still in the middle of a mass casualty event with COVID. How does what's happening now, you know, the, the Senate is forced to use their time and their resources on this. How does this affect Biden's legislative agenda and specifically in addressing um, the, the pandemic and the health crisis that we're facing right now? Well, they realize that they have colliding issues and everything is a priority. And that makes it um, very hectic right now in this moment. But President Biden is like, you know, I'm letting the senators handle this. He said this over the weekend when he came back. Well, Monday, actually, when he came back from Delaware, I'm letting the senators handle this. I'm doing my work. He's the president and he's moving forward. I mean, again, you know, they're trying to deal with vaccinating people, um, you know, and there's another component, the health equity part of the White House that's worried about black folks and to include black health care professionals who don't want to get the vaccine. That's one thing. Then the economics of it all, you know, uh, trying to, to, to fix the unemployment issue, trying to, to make sure people aren't losing their homes. He is still working. He is still working. You know, um, I know that he's working on some issues. I'm getting ready to do a story on, um, you know, there was a meeting about uh, student loans. And I'm getting ready. I'm probably going to have that story out on Monday because I'm gathering more information. But essentially, he told Chuck Schumer, um, make me do it. You know, he said, I'm thinking about it. Make me do it. Um, and that's a big issue. So there are a lot of issues out there. Um, really, one right now is not bigger than the other um, when it comes to COVID, the damaging effects, the economy, trying to stave off a depression. He's busy working. He's not thinking about Donald Trump. He called Donald Trump a clown before. He still thinks that even worse. But is that a mistake? And I know you. I know you got to go. Um, we, we appreciate you being here. But I. But but I just. It just begs the question: Is that a mistake on his part? There is. There is absolutely no way that if Joe Biden, if Barack Obama, if Bill Clinton, if any former Democratic president or even any Republican president that he didn't like, uh, that were, were in a similar position, Donald Trump would remain silent. He would be he would be foaming at the mouth. He would try to be trying to gin up his base. He would be criticizing uh, any member of his party who, who did not agree. And he would be doing it publicly from his, from his Twitter account, from the from the podium at the White House. Is Joe Biden making a political error by not coming out and saying this 
needs to happen. Joe Biden has spoken. Joe Biden called him a clown. They, you know, we've seen what we've seen what Joe Biden thinks, what Democrats think, what Kamala Harris thinks, the vice president. We've seen what Democrats think about him. So here's the deal. Do you give him more airtime, more space in your head? Because once Joe Biden says it, it makes it magnifies it by a millions of times versus leaving it alone and letting it die on the vine or let it do what it does. Why should Joe, Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Why should he even put air in it? He won the popular vote and the electoral college. Why should he put more air into Donald Trump when we're trying, we're praying that he goes away? He's not on Twitter. He's not on the book. He's not on the gram anymore. You know, he's got to make videos and, and talk to people, you know, with press releases and make a video that maybe or maybe not the TV networks will like. Donald Trump is the loser on so many levels. Why should Joe Biden even acknowledge unless something happens again of the magnitude of January 6th? Why should Joe Biden put air in it and blow it up? Mm. April, I, I want to jump in before, before you got to run it because it's not every day that people get to talk to or hear from a White House correspondent, much less someone who has been in that room and in that building for as long as you have. Amen. Or as many, <laughs> five <laughs> presents. What can you tell us about what it's like to do that job, what people don't know about it? And also, we're talking at a time, even though we've been talking about two different presidents, a transition between them, going from one administration to the other. How does this job change between administrations? Uh, what are you, you know, what are your expectations of this one? There's already been a lot of conversation about, well, the briefings are back, but are they answering the questions the full way? Where are you on what the Biden administration needs to do in terms of the press? And I'm not asking you to accept as a premise that the bar on the floor left by the Trump administration is where we should start at, right? So, so I know that was like seven questions, but <laughs> you can pick and choose them. Right. There should always be transparency with presidents. And that transparency begins with the mouthpiece and the president answering questions, as well as those who um, could shed more light on the issue. One of the things that the Trump administration did was allow the president to go out, then President Donald Trump to go out and speak as if he was the expert. At that time, he thought he was a doctor. And look at what we got. <laughs> We got uh, Lysol, Clorox, and a light. <laughs> when you, you say know, it, it's just so we lived through it, but I mean, it's We so did. Absurd. I mean, no, 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 but I'm serious. And, and what other administrations, whether it was Clinton, Bush, Obama, or Biden, what they would do, they would put the expert out there to give the information, to help us understand, the American people understand what's at stake versus the president thinking that he was a doctor. Um, you know, I was waiting for him to go try his own case as a lawyer on the hill. I said, that would have been asinine. I said, you know, so he thought he was a lawyer at one point. So, I mean, it's, there's a different day there. Um, as it relates to the press, Wes, all of you guys, you guys know that there's a friendly adversarial relationship with any administration or any principles that you cover because they want certain things. And if you put something that's not always what they want, there's a little bit of retaliation, but it was nothing like we saw in the Trump years, okay? Enemy of the people. Um, called me a loser. Man, please, bye. Anyway, um, you know, 
I mean, it's unfortunate that I say that about a, a, a former president of the United States, but that was my life for four years. I mean, I'm sitting in a space right now. I had to move from my home because his minions were coming and sending things. I don't even want to get into that. But at the end of the day, we have to remember Donald Trump diminished the press, but we have to remember that when you don't know what's going on, the first people you look to are called the press. You know, we may get it wrong, but more times than not, if we're credible, credible news sources, not those fringe outlets that Trump has put in the cyberspace, you get information that you need. And, and asking questions can change a dynamic, can help you understand how you are affected by the White House, by the people's house, by all of that. So at the end of the day, I'm a proponent for the press. I'm a proponent for free press. But we have to remember that the founding fathers put it into um, our pillars of this nation that Donald Trump seems to not want to remember. The First Amendment, not the second, not the third, not the fourth, not the fifth. The First Amendment, freedom of the press. Why? Because of times like Donald Trump had. When the checks and balances fail, we are there to ask questions for accountability. And because of that, you had people like the late Senator John McCain saying, you know, when you when you discredit the press, um, and I'm paraphrasing, it begins um, dictatorship. You know, we can call it anything we want, but I'm telling you, it began, it was going down that road of dictatorship. You know, breaking of the rule of law. How dare you ask me why I did this? This is the press, the freedom of the press is what makes us different from China or Russia or some of these other third world nations that persecute and execute their press. So um, I'm, I'm happy that we're back to civility, at least friendly adversarial civility. Um, that was a dark day for us. And it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just a dark day for the press, but it was a dark day for all the nation. And truth be told, if the people who supported President Trump really take a look and, and, and look at the history books and look at civics and, and, and really research patriotism, they would find out that they followed the wrong message, message and messenger. Well, we are so lucky to have your voice. Um, we, we appreciate you so much and, and the work that you're doing. And where can everybody see your work now? You're with The Griot. TheGrill.com, look for me on TheGrill.com. And of course on CNN, um, you know, we've got COVID and impeachment. So you might see me on the weekends right now, but okay. I'm still there. <laughs> I know right where <laughs> Oh, I know how that goes. I know you know that how goes. that goes. But um, no, but you know, um, TheGrill.com, I put out a story today. I had Corey Bush, uh, Congresswoman Corey Bush and Ayala Presley today um, talking about January 6th. So we are, you know, we are in the trenches trying to inform everyone particularly people who look like us, because we have to understand we are the heroes of this moment. Absolutely. We are the heroes of this moment, and we are not going to let people forget it. Absolutely. Let's not let them forget it. April, thank you for your time. We really appreciate you. I appreciate oh, you. Thank you. Thank okay. you, April. All right, guys. All right. And now on to the other headlines of the day. The first one this week is from our very own Wesley Lowry. Wesley um, often brings us great headlines to talk about. Wes, you did an interview. I have, a, I have so much to say about this. I'm going to let you break it down first, though. <laughs> okay. I have so many opinions about this and so many text messages. I have been, like, they've been flying back and forth because of your article. Wesley interviewed Andrew Gillum and his wife. Tell us about the interview. 
Sure. So, so I did a piece for GQ that published earlier this week about Andrew Gillum and RJ Gillum. Uh, this was part of GQ's Modern Lovers series. And so the forthcoming issue, I think it's on newsstands next week, is all of the pieces are about uh, public figure couples. And so my piece was about Andrew Gillum and RJ. Um, and as folks may remember, right at the beginning of COVID last March, there was a scandal that broke around Andrew Gillum. Now, Andrew had been a bit of a democratic rising star. He'd been the mayor of Tallahassee since 2014. He was the gubernatorial candidate in the state of Florida in 2018. Very charming, intelligent, black um, elected official who was seen in many areas of the Democratic Party as the next Obama, Southern Obama type figure. Um, and the thought was that his ceiling was the root. You know, he, he couldn't, that he could go anywhere he needed or wanted to go. Um, he lost the race in 2018, despite really being a resistance darling, right? You gotta remember these races in 2018, the Democratic base wanted to send a message to Donald Trump, right? People were horrified. And so he was in the same class as Stacey Abrams or John Ossoff the first time or Beto O'Rourke, those types of people. He lost the race to Ron DeSantis, the Republican, um, and following that had a bit of a, a breakdown, a, a stumbling. And last March, a police report came out where Andrew Gillum had been found in a hotel room in Miami uh, with two other men. Uh, one, of the, the, one of the other men was a gay sex worker who had overdosed and got sent to the hospital. Andrew was found naked, um, seemingly having thrown up and was kind of out of it. They could tell he wasn't fully responsive to police. The police said they found drugs scattered throughout the room. And so this very quickly became a major national story, uh, played out along partisan lines in ways you might imagine. A lot of conservative commentators were kind of gleeful. This was someone they were scared of and who they, who they saw as an enemy. A lot of people in democratic spaces were kind of clutching their pearls and going, oh, maybe you don't talk about this, but raise their eyebrows. And then later on, a conservative blog published even additional photos of Andrew, showing him fully nude on the ground, seemingly passed out. And so Andrew announced he was going to rehab for alcoholism. Later on did an interview with uh, Tamron Hall in which he came out as bisexual for the first time, but still was maintaining kind of a specific image about what had happened here. And so my editors asked me, they said, you know, do you know Andrew Gillum? Do you know his people? Do you think you could find out if he'd ever be willing to participate um, in a profile of him and his wife. And, you know, Black World being Black World, I said, well, I mean, I know Andrew in passing, but let me send two text messages. I'll figure out who his people are. And We're all two text messages away from each other. Yeah, correct. <laughs> um, and so I sent, I, I think it was one text message, got an email address, sent an email, and then and was having this conversation about what it would be like, you know, if they might be willing to participate in a joint profile that was framed about their marriage and how their marriage had seemingly survived this. What has it been like for them in the year since Miami? Because we're coming up on the year anniversary. Um, you know, there were hesitant, there were a lot of questions that we did a lot of back and forth. As we know, as journalists, it's not you call someone and they hop on the phone, they're on the record and they start talking. We went back and forth a bit about it, but ultimately they agreed to a sit down. So right before Thanksgiving, I flew to Tallahassee, sat down in their home with them for several hours and talked about a lot. Now, there, there, was, a, there was a point in the story where you kind of pull back the veil on the reporting, which we don't, we don't oftentimes get the chance to do in writing magazine features, but you, you talked about how they cooperated and they, and they participated in, in the story until you got to some details and then they, and then they pull back. So I went down to Tallahassee and talked to the Gillums 
like I said, in November, right before things were Tuesday before Thanksgiving, sat down with them and said, and, and I'll be honest, they answered basically every question I asked. And I didn't get in, there were cases where it was clear they weren't going to go into details. I asked a question, they answered it kind of in a circular fashion. So I wasn't nailing with every thought because it was clear, all right, this is where they're drawing the line on, the, on this set of questions, right? Um, but so we talked about his rise, their courtship, their marriage, their, their, how they built a family, uh, his bisexuality going back years and when he had disclosed that to her and when he'd figured it out himself. And then we talked about the night night. We talked about what had happened and he put forward kind of a specific narrative. It was similar to the narrative that he put forward in the Tamron Hall interview where he said essentially, look, this was a man who I knew. We, he, we befriended each other because he complimented me on my political career. You know, I was out drinking, we met up, I was handed a drink and next thing I knew it was five or six hours later. And, you know, and, and I'm naked and the cops are there and they're telling me about an OD and I have no idea what happened. I feel like it was a setup. I feel like I might've been drunk. And so I'm making all these notations and I know also in this case, I'm gonna at least have to put a phone call in to the two other men who were in the room that night. Now, neither of them have ever talked publicly Frankly, I'm not assuming they're going to talk to me. I'm assuming I'm going to send an email into a void and never get a response. Um, but I send the email to Travis Dyson, the sex worker who was there, and he responds almost immediately. Oh, yeah, I'll talk to you. I'm thinking, what? What's going on? And so this is starting to happen. And at the time, this is right before my follow-up interviews, right? He emails me back on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. I haven't talked to him yet. But on Friday, I'm doing my follow-up calls with Andrew and Arjun. And the night before, I get a message from one of their staff members who says, who else are you talking to? So I sent an email in response. I said, look, every person who he mentioned, I'm going to have to reach out to him ping just to fact check things. I'm going to have to reach out to the cops. I'm going to have to ping the two guys who were there. And the response came back that, whoa, this is an issue. That's what, you know, that's problematic. Why, you know, would you talk to this person? Would you elevate him the same way you're elevating Andrews? Why, like what, there was a clear pushback. And at that point they said, all right, we're canceling the, the rest of the interviews for today. I go on to talk to, um, talk to Travis Dyson, who provides a very different narrative than what Andrew Gillum has said previously. You know, I call Andrew or I call Dyson. And, and, and one of the reasons I'm calling him no matter what, however I wanted the framing or whether I believed Andrew or not, there's a legal liability. Andrew is alleging things that are crimes. If you drug someone and, and, and then try to extort them, those are criminal actions. And so I can't publish in GQ this allegation without having let this person have an opportunity to respond to these criminal allegations. And Travis goes, no, 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 no. That's not what happened at all. Let me tell you. And so he lays out a different version. Um, you know, while Andrew said they had met either in a hotel or a bar talking politics. Travis said, I, had no, I don't know anything about politics. I didn't know who Andrew Gillum was. We met on the app grinder a week or two earlier and we had been meeting up for, to hook up, right? That we had, we had had these parties several times uh, in, the, you know, in the week or two since they had first met each other, sometimes them, sometimes other people. He said, no, I didn't drug Andrew. That, Drugs were part of what we would do during these meetups. And, and he said, no, you know, Andrew took too much and overdosed, he you know. And so, and so he laid that out. He, he said, you know, I know the pictures look bad, but I was basically, you know, I've got a client here 
who was overdosed. He's passed out. He's going to wake up at some point and be like, what the hell happened? I want to be able to show him, well, you were passed out. Then I moved you to the, to, to wash you off in the shower. I rolled you on your side. And, and he did also admit that he had sent some of these photos and some at one point kind of like a selfie video to another sex worker, basically like, look at my client from hell. He got, he passed out and here I'm in the, you know, that was his framing of it. Before we move on, there were a couple parts in the article, Wesley, that made me like laugh and smack my forehead and also feel really endeared towards the black community. And I'm going to share those specifically. So and these are on the article. So if you guys want to check out the article, it's in GQ. Um, Andrew Gillum recounts a time when he was extremely drunk in public at a public event. I think it was Tyler Perry's studio opening. Tyler Perry Studios launch. Tyler Perry Studio opening. And Keisha Knight Pulliam, Rudy Huxtable came and tapped him on the face and told him to get some coffee and pull it together. <laughs> like, I feel like just the black community, like you can't make that shit up. Okay, but that's not it. Well, then when the story broke and all the pictures came out and it was this whole scandal, he told you, right, that Van Jones called to introduce him, offering to introduce him to Iyanla Van Zandt, presumably to help fix his life. And Tyler Perry called to offer his services as a prayer partner and also to connect him to Judy Smith, a PR queen, crisis communications queen, who is the real life inspiration for Olivia Pope from Scandal. Yes. What was your reaction to all of these details? It's it's very funny because we're in this transcript and in the audio of this conversation there's a point where like after each of these, I'm like repeating the names back to make sure I heard them right. <laughs> I, I think I, li- I, I said, uh, I was like, cause I, I think actually when Andrew initially said this, he goes and Tyler reached out and offered to be a prayer partner. And I said, we're talking about Tyler Perry. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, was, and I, I think I even joked, all right, well, good. Cause I don't want to act. I don't want Tyler, the creator to come at me mad that I right. gave the credit to the wrong guy. Right. <laughs> I was like, but it was a sense of, you know, and there were other people he told me, you know, that, you know, Kamala Harris had reached out and Stacey Abrams. I mean, this was, this section of the piece actually is shrunk down from the things that we talked about. Um, I have always felt there's this kind of salacious interest in politicians' sex lives that has absolutely nothing to do with their ability to govern. Like I was watching Mark Sanford on CNN the other day and remembering his trip to the Appalachian Trail and how quaint how quaint that seems now after everything we've been through, you know, insurrection and storming the Capitol. Like I wish that our biggest problems were a politician who disappeared to, you know, wherever with his mistress and claimed he was, you know, hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Um, but it did just kind of feel like in hindsight, like who cares? Like, like it doesn't affect his ability to govern at all. Like that's a personal issue between him and his wife. Why, why, why should that mean that his career in politics is over? I, w- I would agree with that about 90%. And, and because I do think like what you do, what you do with your, with your wife, what you do with whoever else, what you do in your bedroom, all of that is, is your business and you're correct. It doesn't affect, impact your ability to govern. What it does impact on, on some level though is you become a public figure, not just because of what you do in office, but you become a public figure based on a persona that you build and that you sell to the public. And on that basis, the public then entrusts you with a certain amount of power. Uh, and, and in the case of, of someone like an Andrew Gillum, who, who was very close to being the governor of a, of a not just any state, but of Florida, one of the one of the largest states in and of a state that that had big ram and, and always does have big ramifications in our uh, presidential elections. 
Um, that's a lot of power to entrust to somebody who has put up a public facade that turns out on some level to be a lie. That I think is where is where some folks sort of draw a line. If you have ascended to a particular position of public power and trust on the basis of uh, of of a of a lie that you that you've given to the public, we have we have voted for you. People have contributed to your campaign. People people have su have supported you, um, and on that basis, you can then marshal the resources of of the public because you told us one thing that turned out not to be true about you. And then we have to ask the question, what else can we not trust you with? The only thing I wanna build on that, Keith, is that, because one element of the story was that there were a lot of right-wing figures tangentially involved. Uh, the story breaks because Candace Owens is leaked to the police report. Um, later on, the most, uh, the, the most revealing or vulnerable photos, uh, the head of the Proud Boys was involved in how they were procured and leaked. And one thing that they say, one thing that they bring up as to why this story matters, right? You can decide whether you believe them or not that this is their motivation, but I think it's a valid point to be brought up broadly, right? Is that when you entrust someone with a lot of power, they are uniquely susceptible to blackmail, to manipulation, and that if they are keeping some big personal secret, and then the Russians find out, or the, the Chinese, or the that 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 could in fact influence what they do in some way. That that if you have a public official who's in an extreme position of power, who is living a personal life that perhaps is secret to their family, perhaps a secret to the public, might bring them a bunch of embarrassment or might be illegal or what, that if someone were to figure that out, they would then potentially be vulnerable to have their decisions influenced. And so that was one of the, that's kind of the high-minded explanation that the, that the kind of conservative media figures use for this is that like one, we think he's a hypocrite on any number of issues, but two, what if he'd been the governor and then some person of ill intent finds this out and tries to use it to manipulate his decision-making? And, and I'm like, what if he'd been that, the 45th president? Correct, right? And how might that influence well, you know, his decision making. But what's interesting is that, you know, Keith spoke to lies, to living a life that's not true to what you've presented. You just spoke to secrets that could be used against you when you're in a position of power. <clears throat> and both of those things speak to not living a life of transparency. And I've often felt that people will accept almost anything if you are open and unapologetic about it, short of victimizing the weakest among us you know, children, the elderly, animals, the mentally incapacitated, short of really disgusting things, you can pretty much own anything as long as you own it unapologetically and say, this is me, this is who I am. Everyone who's involved in this lifestyle is consenting and happy to be here and free to go when they want to and take it or leave it. And I, I have always felt like people will accept that if you're honest about it, including spouses, including constituents, including friends and family, it's always the self-imposed shame that if and when you share it, you share it from a place of shame or you keep it to yourself or you make yourself vulnerable to any kind of blackmail or intimidation that comes from within. And then maybe this is more of like a spiritual conversation, but if you, if you know yourself and you accept yourself, there's very little anyone can do to hurt you. That's my sermon for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Pastor Mara. <laughs>
You're welcome. Well, I feel like we're running out of time. I wanted to get to Tom Brady, but I feel like that's going to be a very long conversation. Although no, I have skip, zero to say on it. Skip Tom Brady. I need y'all to explain to me this Gorilla Glue thing because I have been actively not paying attention to it. This and I feel those, like I'm missing a cultural touchstone. You are. This is one of those stories you can't escape even if you want to. So this girl, and I feel very sympathetic for her. She ran out of her preferred hairspray. And so she picked up a can of Gorilla Glue spray. Now she knew it was Gorilla Glue and she knew that it wasn't hairspray, but she did not realize the extent to which she was going to damage herself. So she used it for a slick down ponytail and now her hair is like shellacked. It's like plastic. She has washed it 15 times, she said. She spent 22 hours at the hospital, she said, getting chemical treatment to try to remove it from her hair. She has tried to shave her head and it has been unsuccessful. And this is a real medical problem because the pores on her scalp can't breathe. So this can turn into a very dangerous medical situation. It could become an infection. There are just a million ways that this can go wrong. And everybody's attacking her like, you idiot, you idiot. But I think there's like this whole huge space of A, people do dumb things, right? Who, who among us has never done anything dumb? And B, it's this like black women's obsession with this straight slick hair, which I'm guilty of as well, that has got her in this situation. And now she's open to ridicule because she was just trying to live up to these impossible standards and have her edges laid, laid for the gods, right? So it's this kind of merging of like this TikTok generation, this, this bullying, this piling on, this ridicule. But then there's like a lot of real sympathy how is she going to get this gorilla glue out of her head? She's tried everything. And isn't like gorilla glue, isn't gorilla glue like corporate involved? Aren't they putting statements out? Right. And like, so, I, so I feel she, like because yeah. <laughs> so gorilla glue said, was out here like, nah, we, we, we. Mm-mm. Well, no, she you, said put it, that on us. It says on the bottle, but she, I feel if that lawyers are probably knocking down her door, it says on the bottle not to use on skin eyes, mouth, it has all these places you're not supposed to use it, but it does not say hair. Ooh, okay, right, but all right, so we got an opening, scalp, we got an opening. Your scalp, <laughs> has, opening. Ha- your scalp has skin on it. I, find so me, I a, got, lawyer, I got a, find I, me I, a lawyer that can't break let, that down. Let me, let me tell you something, let me tell you something. And let me preface this by saying, nothing that I'm saying comes from a place of cruelty for this woman in particular, or, or from a place of misogyny towards women or towards black women in, 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 you know, black women broadly, right? At some point, at some point, you have to, you have to be like, we have to agree, right? As a society, like there's just some stuff that's a little bit too dumb to do. And again, I don't say that from, from a place of cruelty, but there's like, you ran out of hairspray got to be glue, which I've seen, right? I've seen in, in, a, in, a, in a magnet cabinet. It's called, it's called, got, if you read the label of got to be glue, it says, this shit ain't glue. It says that, <laughs> it says that. I'm certain you got some of that in your cabinet somewhere. And if you don't, you got a store near you, you got a Sally Beauty Supply or something near you where you can go and pick it up and read the label. The label on got to be glue says, and it not not verbatim, but pretty close to it. This shit ain't glue. Okay. So you put something <laughs> on your hair that tells you this shit ain't glue. Okay. You run Can out I... of it, and, th- and not only do you go get some more glue, you go and get one of the strongest goddamn adhesives you can buy without a prescription. And you pour 
this is the st- anyway let me let let let, 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 let I, but but there is a point like i'm okay. again i i know that sounded harsh i know how that came off and i gotta say again that did not come from a place of cruelty it comes from it comes from a place of just being apoplectic that any but that any grown functioning adult would think that that was a good idea right okay i can i can empathize with the with the with the medical challenges that that she's having though i totally believe that those things were were completely and entirely self-inflicted okay but here's what i want to what i want to get to and here's the part of this that i think is 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 tragic for me and you can tell me if i'm wrong feel free but for me this is another instance of unfortunate of of women going to dire lengths to attain an unrealistic and unhealthy beauty standard with tragic consequences. And that sickens me. It doesn't sicken me about this particular individual. It doesn't, and and again, I'm not saying this from a place of hatred of, of black women. I'm not saying this from a place of, Sisters, sisters, I just, I want y'all to stop hurting yourselves to look different. That, that I want you to, I want you to not hurt yourself to look different. I've lost three women extremely close to me. My mother, my grandmother, and my first cousin, I lost to cancer. The oldest of them was 76, my grandmother, which is still very, which is still very young. My first cousin, I'm 44. She passed away. I want to say I was at 42 or 43. And this was several years ago. And then my mom, who I who I lost at the age of at the age of 50, at 59, didn't make it to 60 years old. I would I'm not saying that overthrowing you know patriarchal beauty standards would have saved them from that fate what i am saying is boy like i i I wish i could have spent more time with all with all three of y'all in the gym i wish i could have spent more time with all three helping helping the three of you eat you know eat eat more healthy i wish i could have spent more time telling the three of you how naturally beautiful you were if i could just bring any one of them back to life for 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 a brief second and just tell them that you're okay as you are, that you're beautiful as you are, that you don't need anything else to make you to, to validate who you are and why and, and why you're you're beautiful. Keith, you know, I, I appreciate you talking about, you know, what I always love about you is you you're personal and you share with us and the listeners where your perspective comes from and your lived experience. Um, uh, you know, and I and I really love that you got there. I was worried you were going Dr. Umar for a second. Then you nah, bro, back. nah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, have, oh, no. I don't, I don't, oh, I don't, Barbara, I don't possess what? the Hotep gene. I don't know I don't, I'm not Umar. a carrier. I'm not a carrier of the Hotep oh, gene. Oh, that's that's oh. not it. That ain't it. That What's ain't it. The, oh, the Hotep gene? Yeah, oh, Mara, you don't even gene. know. We, yeah, we no. want to circle offline on that, but Mara, I, I do want to, I know we're running out of time, but you're obviously the black woman on the panel, not me. Um, so I don't have anything to say on this, but, but you also have worked, I mean, look, you've worked in public facing roles your entire career. You are someone whose job is in part to look attractive on camera, right? Whatever that means. And often 
that that's defined by people who aren't you, aren't from your culture, yep. you know, or, and so I'm, I'm really interested, again, I knew nothing about this gorilla glue thing until we raised this 15 minutes ago, <laughs> but actively avoiding it. And now I'm like hyper plugged in. Right. You know, <laughs> what do you think about, like, what do you make of all that conversation? The, the bottom line and the reality for every woman on this planet is your access to resources is tied to your physical appearance. So all humans want access to certain resources that are gonna allow them to thrive and feed their family and maybe be rich but to thrive, not just to survive, we want to thrive. And for women, that is often, most often tied to our appearance. It may not be the only thing, but it's a big part of it, especially if you're someone who works in media. I'm gonna tell you exactly what would have happened because in media, this is legal. In other fields, this is not legal, but in media, it's in your contract that your appearance is tied to your performance. And I have gotten these emails many, many times. You step off the air and there's an email from your manager saying, I didn't like your dress, don't ever wear that again. I didn't like your eyelashes. I didn't like your hair. They can pick apart any part of your appearance that they want to because it is tied to your performance. And that is one area where it's specifically tied to your survival because it impacts your salary. It impacts whether or not your contract is going to get renewed. So the just my response to that for you is that it goes much bigger than Keith Reed appreciating women in their natural state. This is about our ability to find mates that are going to provide for us how well are those mates going to provide for us? Is it going to be the guy at the top of the economic ladder or the bottom? It's about finding jobs where we're going to be treated with respect. And all of those things are tied to our looks. It's not right, but it's reality. The basic point that I, that I mean, that, that I want to make here as it relates to, like, to the extent that I can take seriously a 40-year-old woman who, who poured, you know, industrial sprayed. strength adhesive on, on her spray. hair. It was spray. Uh, spray. Spray poured, smeared, slathered on her it hair. It is like, different extent- because- Wait, 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 wait. They make Gorilla Glue in a spray? They make yes. a spray. And yes. I see why I thought she, that was I, how you hung. I thought that was how you hung up them cabinets, Wes. Oh, no, you talking no, about no, the no, ones no. behind? Don't come yeah. to Wesley's yeah. bookshelves because those My are bookshelves. beautiful. Yeah, Don't gorilla, try it. Gorilla Glue, but the point, Gorilla Glue would actually hold that up there. That's how strong Gorilla Glue <laughs> it, is. Like you could, okay, he could, have, he could have hung that with Gorilla Glue and it wouldn't fall. It takes a man to know that. That's part of the story, too. I didn't know Gorilla Glue was like that. What is it? Like the fucking crack of glue? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty much. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's called yeah. Gorilla Glue. Crazy Glue no. sounds scarier to me. Gorilla just sounds like, no, you know, kind of strong. No, you don't like mess with no, you don't mess, you don't mess with Gorilla Glue. Okay, that's see, not, A, a it takes a man, I think. I don't know if that's common knowledge among women. And, and B... There is a big premium placed in the beauty space about innovation. If that would have worked, if that would have laid her edges, she would have been a TikTok star. If Gorilla Glue would have been the secret to the most beautifully spectacular for a different reason. Yeah. I mean, but and, women and are so, trying. So like how, much, how much do you want to risk to be a TikTok star? Mark? But I don't think she did. I don't think she did it. I don't think she did it to be a TikTok star. But my point is, it is not unusual at all to run out of something and look and try to find a replacement for it that wasn't intended for that purpose. I've done it more times than I can count. Take a household item and use it for some beauty shit. And nine times out of 10, it works. Or reverse, take some weave thread and use it to stitch up a hole in somebody's clothes. And that works too. So that beauty innovation goes both ways. I'm not mad at her. I feel nothing weave, but sympathy. Weave thread. 
weave is very thick. It's very, it's very thick. No, y'all yeah, kept, yeah, yeah, kept me. No, y'all kept me that. on here too long. We using weave, <laughs> we using weave thread. We hanging shells with gorilla glue. It's all kind. Of dogs and cats is kissing outside. Like what the fuck? What? What is happening? What is happening? What is happening? Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RuntellThis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Run Tell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.